You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We are jumping into a brand new series. This is our capstone series each year. Uh, Be a disciple, make a disciple. And I was thinking about like, how do I want to approach this conversation this year? How do I want to approach this conversation? I have watched hundreds, if not thousands of baptisms. I think it's over a thousand. It may be over 2,000 baptisms. I have watched or participated in hundreds, if not thousands of baptisms. And not just baptisms. I've watched people grow mature in their faith by the hundreds by the thousands. It is really cool to be a part of. And I was thinking about what kinds of people did I see baptizing people? And let's take a look at this list. These are the kinds of people that were baptizing people. A chef, a butcher, stay-at-home mom, insurance agent, a nurse, a handyman, physical therapist, professional musician, salesman, IT professional, office manager, veterinary tech, former addict. These are the kinds of people that were baptizing people, not just the staff. In fact, more often than not, at the churches that I've grown up under, the relational discipleship churches I've grown up under, it wasn't the staff that was discipling them. It was a whole community of people. It was small groups. It was the care groups that were baptizing people over and over and over again, and not just baptizing them, helping them to grow up, to to mature in Christ, to find hope, to live different lives, to, to find resurrection for their marriage, to find hope when there wasn't hope, to find peace when there wasn't peace, to mature as human beings, I watched this happen over and over and over again. And oh, by the way, if we go back to that list, these are the people that are planting churches and are investing and discipling people as as pastors today. That's the profession they started with. But that's not where God ended. In fact, I believe that we potentially have a number of pastors in the making according to God's design, according to God's purpose, sitting in our midst that two, three, five years from now, we'll be looking at each other going, remember when we were just sitting at All Souls and Rob said, I see pastors out there? And I was thinking, oh, that's not me. These are the kinds of people that God uses to change communities. How does he do that? 
Well, like I said, we are a relational discipleship church. We are the great, we're the grandchild of Post Falls real life, the child of Moscow real life. And I've seen generations of church plants come out of Post Falls real life. And so we're part of this network of churches, relational discipleship churches. And, and I wanna talk real quick about what does it mean to be a relational discipleship church? We have five key components. We have a biblical foundation for relationship. Everything that we do needs to come from the scriptures. Didn't Jesus have a biblical foundation for everything he did? Why would we be any different? But relational discipleship teachers have, or churches have intentional leaders. Think about Jesus. On a scale of one to 10, how intentional was Jesus? It was probably a 50,000. <laughs> he was always intentional. He was always living for the kingdom. Relational discipleship churches have relational environments. We have, we have a number of them. Sometimes we have Bible studies. Sometimes we have care groups. Sometimes we have life transforming groups. Number of different ways to be invested in. Jesus had a reproducible disciple-making process. Have you ever thought about that? He made disciples that made disciples that made disciples. And we could look at the apostle Paul, who wasn't discipled by Jesus, right? He wasn't discipled by Jesus like the other apostles. But the Apostle Paul, being discipled by the disciples that discipled him, knew how to make disciples. Reproducible disciple-making process, and then church alignment. We need to be aligned relationally, philosophically, theologically, organizationally. Oftentimes we think in terms of churches needing to be aligned theologically, right? That's super important to us. If I'm gonna to go to Mission Ridge Church, I need to be aligned with Mission Ridge theologically. Hopefully that's true for all of you that you've made that decision. Have you ever thought about the fact that we need to be aligned relationally though? Have you ever been a part of a church where they were all aligned theologically but they could not stand each other? There were factions throughout the church. You know what? When there's factions within the church, we need to solve that. Jesus had to work hard with his disciples to make sure that they were aligned relationally with each other because they came from back, different backgrounds and different perspectives on what was true and how to make things happen in the world, right? Do you think the Zealots and the Herodians, they naturally got, to, got along with each other? They did, as long as the one was sticking the other with the knife. Jesus had to work hard with his disciples to make sure that they were aligned theologically. We talk about these five components in our one-on-one partnership. If you, if you wanna hear more on those things, we, we'll talk more about that there. 
But I want to ask you a question. Why did Jesus come for 33 years? Why did he come to earth, live 30 years in somewhat obscurity, minus a visit or two, and then do ministry for three years the way he did it, and then at that point, he was done. Some of the answers you might come up with is you might say that, well, he came to fulfill prophecy, important stuff. He did that. You might say that he came to reveal himself as the son of God, also important. You might say, well, Jesus came to die for our sins. And you would be correct. Also extremely important. But why did he do ministry the way he did for the three years? Why did he choose to make disciples? Why did he choose common men and women? Why did he choose common people? Why did he spend three years with them? Why did he do that? Was it important? Did it matter? Did it matter the way he lived? Because we would say that the words of Jesus are God-breathed, right? We would say that his words were important, that we should base our lives upon the, on the things that he said. But would we give equal importance to his methods? That's the question I want to wrestle with tonight. And what did Jesus do with his disciples? We, uh, we did a quick poll on Facebook. We got uh, a few answers. We added some answers for ourselves. Uh, he ate meals with people, his disciples. He walked with them. He, he taught them. He instructed them. He healed other people in their presence. He prayed with them. He taught them how to pray. Sometimes he rebuked his disciples, Right? Get behind me, Satan. That's always your favorite rebuke from, from the Lord. Uh, he equipped them. He released them. He debriefed them. He washed their feet. He did miracles. Um, I think uh, my favorite was random miracles along the way. I think that was my favorite input. Um, that would make anybody a, a, a fun partner in life. Um, and they faced life together. I'd say they faced tough life together. Uh, Jesus lost his cousin, John the Baptist. They had a friend of theirs pass away. Jesus resurrected them, but they faced those moments together. <coughs> Which of these things can you not do, by the way, with other people? in whatever calling, whatever your life, whatever context you live in, which of these things can you not do? And don't tell me miracles, because Jesus says you'll do greater miracles than him. Can you walk with people? Can you eat with them? Can you equip them? Can you wash their feet? Can you face tough life together? 
Can you rebuke them when they need it? Can you pray with them when they need it? Okay. Seems like whatever Jesus did, we should be able to do as well. But again, the question beg, that we got to wrestle with is why did Jesus choose to make disciples? Wasn't there a better plan? Wasn't there another method? Couldn't he just have one more author pen one more book? Just someone scribe all the words of Jesus could have made this happen a lot faster. Like, did he have to do ministry for three years before he could die for our sins? Could he reveal himself as God without making disciples, as a son of God? Could he fulfill prophecy without making disciples? Or was the disciple-making process significant? Was it significant? Was it important? Was it valuable? One of the things that we believe as a church is that there's a biblical foundation for relationship. In other words, relationship, relationship, relationship. That it's, it's throughout all the scriptures that relationships are important to God and to Jesus Christ. And maybe that's a tool for him putting things back together is relationship. We go back to Genesis 2, 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So Adam is with the Lord. All of creation is good. When God made man, made you and me, he says it's very good. Adam and God are together And in that moment, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Doesn't that sound odd? Like, don't we say all I need is Jesus? I saw a Twitter post a week ago. And it said, all we need is Jesus. And I wanted to jump up and down and yell, no! It's not good for you to be alone. For some reason, God said that I need you and you need me. We need that relationship. It is not good for us to be alone, even when we're with the Father. Even when we're with the Father. But Genesis 3 gives us a clear picture of what happens when we get out of God's design, when we get away from the things that God has for us, when we make choices and decisions outside of God's will. And in verse 9, the Lord God says to Adam, where are you? Adam's hiding. He says that, I hid. And so immediately when we know that when, when, when there's sin involved in this world, when, when things start breaking down, it impacts relationship. If you've ever been a parent, you know that when your kids are hiding from you, there's probably a really good reason. They probably did something wrong. 
or they're just having way too much fun. Those are the two options, right? But it doesn't stop with hiding. Sin doesn't just break down relationship that way. It causes us to want to blame one another. Adam says, it's the woman that you gave me. It's her fault. And the woman says, it's a serpent that you created. God, it's your fault. And we, so we see that when, when things work outside of God's design, we start hiding, we start blaming. Relationship is instantly impacted. And then we have Exodus 20, 1 through 17, and we have this list of, of commands, the Ten Commandments, that Logan last week said are relational. Which of these are not relational? You should have no other gods before me, God says. Why? Because that's inconsistent with love. It, it breaks relationship. Make no idols and do not worship them. Why? Because it breaks relationship. Remember the Sabbath. Why? Because Sabbath helps us with our relationship. It, it, it influences, it increases relationship. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Because they're always honorable? No, but because it's good for a relationship. And then the, the horizontal commands, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witness, no coveting, because every one of those commands helps protect relationship. See, Genesis 1 says, or Genesis 2 says, we need relationship. Genesis 3 says, hey, here's the problem. This is what gets in the way of relationship. And from there on, God is trying to help us understand how to have relationship again. He's trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together. He's trying to restore order. He's trying to get us back to the Garden of Eden. Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Which one of these fruits of the Spirit is not about relationship? Love. Towards whom? Joy. With whom? Peace, between whom? Patience, with whom? Kindness, with whom? Goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control towards whom? And he says, if, there's, if the Holy Spirit is active in your life, if the Holy Spirit's doing his work where you have love, you have peace, you have patience, you have joy, kindness, faithfulness, these things are evident, then you don't even have to read the law anymore because you're going to live it out. You don't have to read the fine print of the law to figure out if you're on target or not, if the Holy Spirit's working within you, because that's what God wants to do. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to restore relationships. And Paul's consistent with Jesus. Look at this next, next passage. Teacher, 
which is the great commandments in the law? He asked for one, right? He'll get two. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Does that make sense? That the greatest commandment is that we are to love God with everything that we have. Sounds reasonable, right? The second is like it. The second commandment is like the first one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at verse 40. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. If my relationship between me and God, the first five commandments, and my relationship with you, the second five commandments, if my relationship with God, the fruit of the Spirit, and my relationship with you through the fruit of the Spirit is working, I don't have to read the fine print of the law anymore because I'll be living it out. The goal will be achieved. God is trying to put relationships back together. Aaron Couch asked once, he said, what will relationships be like in heaven? Oh, they'll be peaceful. They'll be joyful. I'll be patient with that person. They'll be patient with me. And we went on and on for about five minutes. And he says, if that's true in heaven, why can't it be true here now because of the Holy Spirit inside of us? If all relationships will be restored in heaven, of all those going, and I'm hoping everyone goes with the Lord, like that's my desire, that's my hope, that's, that's what I'm going to work towards. If all relationships will be restored in heaven, then which ones am I going to allow to just fail here on earth? Because I will not give it the chance. God wants to put relationships back together. Jesus says in John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus gives this command in his last week. He gives this command after the triumphal entry. And he's telling disciples, hey, folks, the way I lived with you these three years, go live that out and keep it going. Don't let it stop here. And they didn't. It took over the world. It took over the world. I mean, Jerusalem was, it was beautiful. But if you want to talk about a, a, a people group that, that were looked down upon, I mean, every, every major nation 
of the past, what, 500 years, absolutely annihilated Israel. Like, how do you change the world? Well, let's start with Israel. That's like, that's like starting with the Dallas Cowboys, you know, to, sorry, is that too soon? So, it's just a football joke. Why did Jesus come to live for 33 years? He came to reveal himself as the son of God. Absolutely. He came to die for our sins. Absolutely. He came to fulfill prophecy. Absolutely. But I think there's one more important, critical component that we need to consider. See, I believe that God saw the problems in the world. God looked down and, and saw men dominating other men, people, dom- people stealing, people lying, people cheating, people breaking relationship in every way you can imagine. And saw that it was a mess. And God knew that if he stayed back, we would just destroy ourselves. Every intent... Of every person, always evil. Isn't that what we're told in Genesis chapter 7? And God says, okay, we're going to change this. But we're going to change this through relationship. We were created for relationship by God, who is relationally, in fact, eternally Relational. If you think about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God has never been alone. He's always been relational. He, and he invites us into that to experience that in all of its wonder and pain. God saw the problems in the world and he sent his Son to reveal his ways through relationship because he sent his prophets... If you go back to last year's sermon series on Ezra and Nehemiah and you look at the way the the Israelites tried to live this out after they came out of Babylon, they made mistake after mistake after mistake. Israelites go to Babylon because they didn't live it out well in the promised land. They're there for 70 years and they're like, we... (laughs) We're tired of being punished. We're going to figure this out. And the pendulum swings too far, right? Ezra pulling beards. The leadership sending people away that they shouldn't be sending away. And the prophets provide commentary. You can go listen to that series because I found it really fascinating what, what we learned in that series. And then you have the, what we call the 400 silent years. Just no text written out for 400 years. It's not like God was done doing things. It's just no prophetic word being written down scripturally. And here comes the Son of God. 
And he says, the way I lived with you, go live with other people. And so we endeavor at Mission Ridge to make disciples because that's what Logan and I received. That's what we, were, that's what we received. So our definition uh, for a disciple comes out Matthew 4:19. Jesus said, "Follow me and I will make you fishers of men." And by the way, when we when we define what a, dis, a disciple is, we, we want this definition to be clear and understandable, memorable, like we want you to be able to remember what our definition is, and we also want it measurable so that when we live it out, we could go, "Yeah." We did it. We made a disciple. But Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so this is our, this next slide is our definition of what it means to be a disciple. Maybe one more slide. There we go. So, um, oh, by the way, it's on our webpage. We want to make it easy for you to find um, and remember it. Uh, so, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. I see a lot of people in here who are following Jesus. A disciple is someone who is changed by Jesus. Now, sometimes we will baptize someone into the faith and we think we've won. That's a great step. But is that discipleship? Or is, just that, or is that just walking through the front door? The saying yes to Jesus and the baptism is like my wife and I, we, like we exchanged vows. But I'll tell you what, we had to work hard at it. And I had to be changed. <laughs> Christy, eh, she didn't need much changing. Pretty perfect from the go. But we want to baptize people into Jesus, but we also want them to be changed by Jesus. We want them to learn how to live for Jesus. We want their relationships to be different. Have you ever seen someone come into the church? They're baptized into the church, but their relationships are never any better. We don't want that. We want them to be changed. And then to be on mission with Jesus. Making disciples that make disciples. See, I believe that Jesus sees the problems. God sees the problems in Missoula. And he's sending us to address them. He's sending you and I. He's sending nurses, and carpenters, and students, military men, teachers, vets, musicians. He's sending us. In a moment, we're going to start passing out communion, and, and, I, and I just want to give you kind of a heads up on communion. We, we changed things a little bit uh, just to help protect uh, each of us um, in better ways. 
uh, the communion is going to be double cupped. The bottom cup is going to have the bread. The top cup is going to have the juice. Did I get that right? All right. So you're going to pull out two cups that will be stacked together, and you'll pull the bread out of the one cup so only you touch your bread and only you drink your juice. We thought that you might enjoy that. Um, so uh, if you are new with us, please know that, that um, we have an open table, which means that um, if you are here to proclaim the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are more than welcome to join us in communion. But the implication is this, my friends. God sees the problems that you see here in Missoula. His solution is to send you to reveal his ways through relationship. God sees the problems that you see when you see your neighbor and, and, and their spouse fighting. When you see a coworker that's brokenhearted, When you see your son or your daughter choose things that are, that are destructive for themselves and, and for others. God, God sees the problems that you see. And sometimes the Christian church is known to kind of back away, and knock things over. Uh, you know, someone, someone's having problems. Someone's struggling Spiritually, and the church is known for just kind of distancing themselves from that person. Uh, fortunately, I didn't see that this week. Uh, I saw a number of people chase after one of our own uh, who was struggling, who is an emotional wreck. And, um, and making some decisions that are harmful for himself, potentially for others. And I, I saw a group of people run towards him, not away from him. Because that relationship matters. We are called to discipleship. And discipleship is about relationship within your context, within your design. In this series... Um, I'll need one too. You got me. Awesome. Um, this series, this 10-week series, we're going to talk about very practical things about what it means to make disciples. And then in our small groups, we'll, we'll have even more discussions about this. But we want to live out discipleship as a church. Some action items. Number one, intentionally reveal, God, reveal God's ways within the relationships you already have. Intentionally reveal God's ways with the relationships that you already have. Most of us in this room had someone or a number of people invest in us spiritually. They Maybe didn't call it discipleship, but that's what they did. And because of those relationships, our lives have been forever changed. 
And the call for us is to live that out. To carry that work on, to pass the baton over and over and over again. For some of you, you're just getting started. And how cool is that? How cool is it to just start this journey of discipleship? I'd invite you to trust it. Trust those relationships. Lean into those relationships. Allow God to use those people to teach you and and to train you in the ways of Jesus. Second action item. Choose to partner with God with new relationships God will bring. I, I think of Jesus and the people that just happened, just happened <laughs> to cross his path. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. Over and over and over, Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. And he was intentional enough in those moments to go, Father, what do you want me to do here? And he, and he chose to step into those, into those moments. Honestly, I don't always want to be interrupted. I kind of like my schedule. I kind of like my plan. But it's easy to miss those opportunities when that's our, it's easy for me to miss opportunities when that's my approach. Let's choose to partner with God with the new relationships he'll bring. Maybe it'll be someone that'll come in for the very first time for a service. And it's as simple as, we'll love to get to know you. We meet on Wednesday nights. Hey, we're going to grab coffee after this, or we're going to grab ice cream tonight. You should join us. It could be that simple to take that next step. God sees the problems that you see here in Missoula. His solution is to send you to reveal his ways through relationship. I believe that's why Jesus came. As much of the other three things that we always talk about within the church community, important things, that he came to reveal himself as the son of God, to die for our sins, to fulfill prophecy, but also to start to put relationships back together through relationship. And we get to do, we get to carry on that work. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.